Walkers. Committed to uncompromising expression, Black Veil Brides is a transcendent celebration of life-affirming power and anthemic catharsis, with a legion of like-minded fans and supporters worldwide. A new chapter in the band's ever-evolving story arrives with The Phantom Tomorrow, but the sixth and perhaps best album from Black Veil Brides almost never happened. I'm Ryan J. Downey, and in this podcast series, we'll explore how Black Veil Brides brought themselves back from the brink, and the band's rebirth with The Phantom Tomorrow. This is the story behind the album, as told firsthand by all five band members and some of the most important people on the team around them. We'll hear from Jake. That was kind of like a crazy moment for me personally. I didn't really share it with with anybody, but I had that like, holy shit moment, like where, wow, like we're actually doing this, like, you know, 10 years later, this is actually going somewhere. Like I could see the big picture and then also feeling like, well, that might be it though. Jinx. Coming back into it, we realized like, what you have to lose by ending something that is so good for you. And it's so good, not only for you and your life, but for so many other people, you know, this band is really important. It's actually so much bigger than ourselves and to, you know, call it quits or, or to end it, uh, it's just, it's uh, irresponsible really. Lonnie. And it's definitely cool to be able to experience things from both sides. First being a fan of the band and then eventually joining the band, which I'm still trying to wrap my head around. It's like, you know, how did that, even come about because that's such a cool story and to be seeing it from a first person perspective is is pretty amazing andy the energy was so great and what we were making was so amazing that it felt like this is kind of the perfect situation like let's just let's buckle in and make a record here and cc all right we're gonna go and conquer the world again you know like let's let's do this and it's definitely you know a rebirth for the band at this point and i'm super stoked to see what's to come this is the Phantom Cast. A gothic vision first summoned in a small town by an isolated kid fascinated with death, rock, theatricality, and monsters, both real and imagined. Blackville Brides is now a postmodern hard rock institution with a legion of like-minded fans and supporters worldwide. A new chapter in the band's ever-evolving story arrives with The Phantom Tomorrow, an ambitious sixth album pushing the music of Blackville Brides forward without sacrificing their beloved signature sound. Built around a thematically rich story, written by singer Andy Biersack, The Phantom Tomorrow combines imaginative world-building with unrelentingly catchy and melodic bombast. The twin guitar attack of Jake Pitts and Jinx cut through with sharp precision, overtop the steady pulse of powerhouse drummer Christian Coma and the fluid, rhythmic dynamics of bassist Lana Eagleton. Beersack's rich baritone croon and soaring passion are anchored in the biggest hooks of the band's career. This band's strident opposition to conformity and obstacles from both within and without strikes a chord with every outcast who felt drawn to the allure of the dark. It's evident in the 160 million-plus views of Knives and Pens, an early demo committed to video before Andy had even found his band of brothers. The RIAA certified gold single, In the End, which itself boasts over 150 million views, is proof that the group whose merchandise dominated Hot Topic stores before they'd even dropped their debut album was no mere passing fad or ill-fated scene. This band was built to last. The Phantom Tomorrow follows five cherished full-length albums and 2019's The Night EP, a body of work that boasts modern hard rock anthems like Faithless, Wake Up, Perfect Weapon, and Goodbye Agony. 
The first taste of the Phantom Tomorrow, Scarlet Cross, put the band in the mainstream rock top 10 for the first time. But before the period of rebirth and renewal that began with the 10-year anniversary release dubbed Restitch These Wounds, the two songs that comprised the Night EP and the Phantom Tomorrow, the era surrounding the band's fifth album, Veil, was punctuated by fragmentation and uncertainty behind the scenes. The band's longtime manager, Ozzy Osbourne bassist Blasco, explains. The band is, for Andy especially, is almost a coming-of-age story in that he really became an adult and he was a child when the band started and he kind of became an adult over this decade-long period of which they grinded hard. I mean, they put out a lot of records, DVDs, did many shows, traveled the world, were on the covers of countless magazines, like an unbelievable amount of awards. And in that 10-year period, I'd stand to argue they probably did more than most bands. And when you think of, like, say, bands, I don't know, Sex Pistols, Black Flag, Minor Threat, like even like Blondie or something, like these bands didn't even last 10 years. Black Sabbath with Ozzy singing didn't last 10 years. So the fact that they lasted 10 years and and you're also growing up in this process, there's no roadmap. There's no there's no rule book of how to be in a band that is going from zero to 60. So they kind of had to learn and figure it out. And is that going to create some tension and, you know, along the way? Yeah, of course it is, because that's always how it is. These guys are no different. And I did feel like that, you know, at that at that fifth record, that was a real fork in the road, a real turning point. He starts experimenting with solo stuff and getting frustrated with that 10 year period of, you know, kind of things that he's gone through. And, and all of them, too. Right. I've, I've seen all of them have different levels of frustration at different moments along the way, whether it's like, you know, they didn't like the choices being made. Maybe they didn't like a tour. Maybe they didn't like a producer. Maybe they didn't like a song. You know, these are all things though, right? Like, I mean, as a musician as well, I speak that language. So I understand the frustration comes with it because I've been that guy too. Here's Andy. The initial idea of doing the solo stuff was to be able to do something that was different than the band. A lot of the bands that I loved growing up, the singer would get an idea for something different that they want to do, and then ultimately the band would become something completely different. And while I can respect and understand musical evolution and growth, I never wanted Black Veil Brides to become something other than what it organically was going to be from record to record with us as a band deciding that. So that was the initial impetus to do the solo stuff. And then just circumstances within the band and situations that were getting more tedious and difficult kind of it needed to happen in many ways for us to kind of reset another important thing to note is that we had been touring for 10 months of the year for six years straight and we were pretty burnt out you know in many different ways we were burnt out so i had started doing the solo stuff with kind of the intention of having it be something entirely different and a separate thing from blackville brides and that was always the intention was to have it be its own entity and not something that would take over my attention, but rather just something I could do supplementary to the band. As time went along and the circumstances within the band seemed like it would be difficult to change them and we got into a situation where we didn't really know what the future was going to be, that started to shift. And by the time we were doing Veil, 
and doing the subsequent tours and the kind of emotional turmoil of those tours, as abbreviated as they were, it almost looked to me like this was now my only recourse to be able to perform on stage, and it I, it didn't feel good. You know, the truth of the matter is, I grew up wanting to be in a band. My intention as a kid was to be a member of a band. One of the things that is the most important about this band is the camaraderie, is the kind of, you know, us against the world mentality. When you walk into a room and maybe everybody else in the room hates you or thinks that you're terrible, but you have that band and the belief that what you're doing is great and you have each other, that's an incredible emotion and something that really is very hard to replicate. If you're a, a solo artist, you can hire a band and you can be really close with those people, but it's not a emotional thing. It's not a, a connectivity based on coming up from nothing together and building something together. So as much as I enjoyed particularly the Shadowside tour, by the time we got to the Ghost of Ohio tour, it started to feel like this very grim, dark feeling of this is my only, this is this going to be the only way that I can go on stage and perform? Is the band now done? And if so, I was sort of heartbroken and lamenting that. Here's Jinx. We had some dark times and a bit of a, a hiatus that was yeah, unexpected for some of us were, you know, it, it, and it, it was uh, just kind of felt like we didn't know, really know where the band was going, if it was going to end. You know, after we did Bail, which, you know, the name of the album even is Latin for goodbye, um, <laughs> you know, and there were songs like this, you know, this is where it ends. And, you know, it's just like it, it, some of us felt like, man, this is it. And, and <laughs> I got to get a job now. I got to figure something out. What's next? That, that was kind of like on everyone's minds, you know, and like I say, it was just kind of dark period and, and uncertainty and losing sense of purpose and, and yeah, just not really knowing where we're going. It was our last obligation with Universal and we knew that was ending and all that. So it's just like uncertainty. What's the future hold? Christian Coma. Recording Veil, it was such a very disconnected and convoluted recording process. The chemistry wasn't there, in my opinion, be between us individually as band members. I mean... I wouldn't necessarily go down the path of saying that there was a hatred amongst us, but you know, that, that fire that was us against the world was lost at that point. And so, you know, doing the record that one, you know, obviously we've all tried to give it our all every time we record and perform and everything. But for me, I, I don't want to necessarily say that I was just going through the motions, but it wasn't, I wasn't as passionate for it at, at that period because, you know, everyone's kind of doing their own thing and, Blackville Brides has been such a focus in my life, but it felt like it may have been something that wasn't on, you know, the front burner, so to speak, for everybody. And so it was just kind of like, all right, let's get this done and let's do this. And, you know, even the touring cycle that followed the recording process for Veil was as short as possible. I mean, it was like almost the minimum that was contractually required. You know, just recording and then hearing the final version immediately. I mean, the last songs, this is where it ends. I'm like, band's done. Like... That's it. Band's done. If you like research the name, what, you know, what Vale means in Latin, I mean, it's farewell. And, you know, you can spin it any way you want, but that's one of the meanings. And it's like, all right, you know, like here's all of these things. I would just be a moron not to really look, look at it for what it really is. And, you know, kind of be in denial for not, for me, not questioning the future of this band. And so after we did that, you know, we were touring on two separate buses. And I think that alone, although we were more comfortable because there was more space, I think that there was that also contributed to the disconnect between us individually and, you know, half the, 
the crews on, on one bus and Andy's on one bus and then we're on the other. And there was just a lot of different things that were in the mix that just weren't, we weren't like clicking and, and firing on all cylinders. Jake Pitts. Well, Vail was when we toured in 2018, I guess. And uh, yeah, we did like one full tour and then we had the, what seemed like it was supposed to be the second leg of it. It seemed like, I don't know, it was like three weeks or something. Played a couple festivals in there, and then we did like two weeks on Warp Tour, and that was it. It was literally what we had to do contractually to fulfill an obligation, a prior obligation, and it was literally like the bare minimum amount of shows that we we were required to do, and we did them, and then that was it. And I specifically remember playing uh, Rock on the Range, and that was our last show in 2018. And we played main stage. It was our first time. We played Rock on the Range like three times now, three or four times. And uh, it was our first time playing main stage. There was a huge thunderstorm coming in. And we had one song left uh, in the end. And we got cut short because there was lightning within five miles of the, the stadium. And so they, they shut us down. And we were very confused. We're like, can we just like, can we just get the one more song in? And we didn't want to leave the stage. It, it was kind of a surreal moment where... You know, so much of our career has been, especially at festivals and stuff, have been people flipping us off, booing us. And I, I can't count how many times it's been really awkward playing some big festivals like that. And this, the whole crowd on main stage was chanting one more song and they wanted us to keep playing. But the festival was shutting us down. And I, I think they ended up evacuating to like shelters and stuff because there was a, a, a big thunderstorm rolled through and the show got shut down for like three or four hours and Avenged Sevenfold headlined. They ended up getting to play. But that was kind of like a, a crazy moment for me personally. I didn't really share it with with anybody, but I had that like holy shit moment like where I was like, wow, we're actually on main stage and, and people like this band. And this was so much fun playing the show, even though it was pretty short. But I felt like, wow, th like this could really be like the next step to like the next tier of like, you know, making it and, and having this band be successful. But at the same time, I felt like that might have been the last show that we ever play. I have no idea. So it was a really weird thing. It was really weird emotions to feel like, wow, like we're actually doing this like, you know, 10 years later, this is actually going somewhere. Like I could see the big picture and then also feeling like, well, I, that might be it, though. So it was, it was pretty weird. Jinx, the band's classically trained violinist and composer, turned his attention toward film scoring. Jake focused on sharpening his producing skills, and as Andy began to put together his second solo album, The Ghost of Ohio, Jake started new musical projects as well. I mean, during that period, I didn't really know what was in store for Blackville. I know Andy was doing his solo stuff, and I just kind of like, you know, I was like, well, in this time, I've got to rely on myself, so I'm going to do what I'm good at. I really started to focus more on like the mixing elements of production, because I could record, and, and that was no problem, but I didn't quite really know enough about how to actually mix and make something sound like like an A-list producer's album would. So I really just started diving into that. And, you know, you just go down the rabbit hole of YouTube videos. And at that time, it was creative live classes with, with certain producers and stuff. Also, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me that I've picked up along the way is just paying attention when whenever I've been able to work with a producer in a studio is 
I, I look at the gear they're using. I look what they're doing on Pro Tools, how they're using things, what plugins are they using? And I would always pay attention to that stuff. I think most people in bands don't don't have a clue what anything is. And for me, I mean, I'm, I'm a gearhead. I'm a nerd. I love all that stuff. So I'm like googly eyed over all these like preamps and compressors and, and all the stuff. And I'm like, wow, this is really cool. And most people don't even know what they do or what they are. So I just paid attention a lot and had a lot of groundbreaking moments with, you know, something as simple as like learning how to use a grid in Pro Tools, like back in the day where I was like just in slip mode. And I'm like, wait, I didn't even know there was a grid mode. What? Like, holy, you know, and it's like something so small and obvious and like, yeah, that's like a beginner thing. It's like game changing. But I think I learned learned most of the stuff from from hands on and then just really, you know, during like the last five or six years applying myself in the in the mixing parts of things i mean every time i'm mixing something i i have that moment where i'm like i don't know this sounds like crap i i I don't know what i'm doing and then i come back and i keep chipping away at it and then all of a sudden it sounds good and it's just kind of a process i go through but even where i am right now today listening just which isn't even that long ago like listening to the night ep i'm like holy crap like i should have done this different and this was wrong and i hear already how much better i've gotten just in a, a really short amount of time you go through this like really long learning process you're learning a little bit at a time and you're getting better and then it's kind of like has a snowball effect where things just really start to like come together at a certain point and i don't think anybody can really learn how to mix well without giving it at least five years i think five years of doing it and practicing you'll you'll your stuff will sound pretty good and i think that's where i'm at now it's like i think things that i that i can make sound pretty good and yeah, I mean, that was a lot of what I was doing at that time. And then uh, I met my now wife, Ina, uh, in 2016, and she was a singer and she had been in bands in Ukraine and she played me some ideas that she had some songs and demos and stuff. And I was like, this is actually pretty cool. Let me record a song for you or whatever. And and I'll, I'll re-record the music and then, you know, I'll, I'll track your vocals to it. And and we ended up working on that and just, just kind of like, you know, didn't, I didn't have any plan to like, like make music with her. It was just like, let's do this thing. Like I had the time, right? So we did it and ended up coming out really cool. And then it just kind of like happened on accident. We just started like, okay, like we just accidentally started making music together, like writing music together. And then I just started recording it. And then next thing you know, we had like a few songs and we just kept going with it. And then we're like, okay, let's, well, let's make a music video and put this out. And we just kind of started doing that. So my focus kind of went away from, Oh, I got to figure out how to be like a producer and I need to find bands to work with. Like I did a couple, like I, it was weird. I had a weird time where I worked with a lot of bands like internationally where I never even saw them, where they would hit me up and be like, Hey, can you like mix our EP? And I'm like, okay, let me, let me hear it. And then I hear it and it's a total train wreck. And I'm like, okay, well, here's what I can do, but this is how much it'll cost. And you know, they would either agree or disagree. And, and they'd be like, okay. So it was a lot of stuff where I ended up retracting guitars and, you know, it's programmed drums. Sometimes they were real. The hardest thing was working with vocalists internationally. A, a lot of people, when they're first starting out and they record a vocal, it's like they just, they do one take and put it down and, and that's it. And they give you like one vocal. So I actually sang like harmonies and stuff for them and, you know, had some different projects there, but I was kind of doing that. There was a period where I worked with several artists from Europe that they would hire me as a, a producer, mix engineer, and, and I would do their EP. And it was everything from like some electronic music like electro pop to to just metalcore so it was interesting when ian and i started working on music we just kind of kind of shifted focus and i was like 
oh, this is nice to be like writing music and making music again. We just ended up working on some stuff for a little bit. And then, you know, it took a long time because I was also learning a lot about mixing, but we made a full album and we put that out. And then I went down the rabbit hole of, uh, she got me into EDM music and I, I went down that whole path and learned how to produce EDM music, which that probably consumed about two years of my life, learning how to do all of that, which I'm still like, you know, not the best at, but learning how to do everything from like a big room song, just big epic synths, like festival style music to dubstep and hard trap. It kind of, I, I kind of went the full circle of learning how to produce EDM in a very short period of time. But I think I was able to do that on a pretty okay level because of the the prior knowledge I had. So, you know, I went, I've used Pro Tools since 2005 and I was like, well, okay, let me get Ableton and learn that. And I, I had it pretty much down in about a day or two. I was like, okay, I get the gist of it. I know what I'm doing. And then it was just little, little things from there. You know, after that touring cycle, it was just like, well, now what, you know, and everyone was kind of like, uh, what are we going to do now? And so everyone kind of did their own thing. You know, I know, uh, Jake was doing like Alonia and he also started Dr. Cool and babe. And Andy went on to do Andy black as he, he usually does during black belt downtime. And I know Jinx was scoring films and stuff like that. And so I was left at this position, like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm not just going to sit here again and do nothing. And a good buddy of mine, Ronnie Radke during that period was like, Hey, uh, you, you want to be in a music video? And I was like, I got nothing going on for like eight months. Yeah. Why not? You know? And so um, I was married at the time. And so I told uh, my wife at the time, I go, I, I bet he's going to offer a tour. And I go, what? Like, this was before we even recorded the music video. And I remember Ronnie being like, dude, I got a, I got a special guest. I can't, I can't tell you who it is. And I saw that he posted a picture with Snoop Dogg earlier that week. And I was like, is he doing a song with Snoop Dogg? And I asked Ronnie, I was like, are you doing a song with Snoop Dogg? He's like, it's not Snoop, but I can't tell you who it is. I'm like, all right, no big deal. Like, I'll still do the video. It's like, all right, I'll tell you who it is. It's Corey from Slipknot. And I was like, okay. all right, I'll do the video. So anyways, I did the video. One thing led to another. Sure enough, he offered me a tour. And, you know, being a drummer, there, there's, I was actually thinking about this today. You look at a drummer like Travis Barker, that dude, perform, every day he's working with somebody different. And I've, my loyalty, this was the first time that I, you know, outside of like maybe a guest song that I would play with a band or something like that. I, I never recorded anything with anybody else, but like I've never toured with another band. So I was kind of walking into uncharted territory for myself as a musician because my loyalty was always to Blackville Brides for the past, you know, now 11 years. Lonnie Eagleton. Kind of grew up being a fan of the band. I'd go to shows, listen to the records, watch interviews, like all kinds of stuff, right? I always wanted to kind of maybe join a band one day. My career at that time was a guitar player, bass player for hire. So I would get hired by artists to go and tour with them and play in their backing band, like that kind of thing, right? A friend of mine who was a drummer, he knew Andy. He drummed in Andy's solo project. His name was Bo, Bo Evans. And basically when Andy was doing his Ghost of Ohio solo tour in 2019, Bo recommended me to play in the backing band for that tour. So that was where I first got introduced to Andy. And the funny thing is him and I didn't even meet until the first rehearsal. It was all done through email communication. And he just checked out my Instagram, checked out the videos I had online. And he was like, yeah, cool. This guy looks like he'd be a good fit. And then we communicated over email a bit. Then we met at the first rehearsal and the tour went really good. And Andy and I really hit it off right away. You know, I could tell, I could tell right away that we were both, you know, going to, some sort of relationship was going to develop in the future beyond us 
touring in this solo project. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm really getting along with this guy. And it was past the thing of me being a fan of his beforehand. You know, we, we were also just kind of getting along on a personal level, bonding over sports and that kind of stuff. You know, he invited me to join his fantasy football league, like stuff like that, right? So that's kind of how I first got introduced to Andy. And by the time we got to the end of that tour, I had really decided, and prior to the tour, I had already started thinking about it. By the, by the time we got to the end of that tour, I had really decided that no matter what, I was going to find a way to make this work and that we as a band were going to find a way to get out of the situation that we were in and we were going to come back together and be whole again and be happy again. And so as the Ghost of Ohio tour progressed, my mind was really focused heavily on how do we fix this situation. I can remember vividly kind of the the really pivotal moment for me was we were doing one of the two farewell warp tour shows. They did two kind of one-off shows, one on the West Coast, one on the East Coast, and it was the Atlantic City show. And I'm backstage and we're shooting the shit and talking to people that we've done a million tours with, stage managers, crew people that we've known over the years. And I was kind of having like an out-of-body experience because as I'm talking to these people, I'm also consciously looking around the corner and aware of the fact that there's this giant sea of people on the beach in Atlantic City that I'm about to walk out and perform for. And it just felt wrong if you could. I mean, not that it felt wrong to perform a show in front of all those people. It felt wrong that it wasn't the band that was doing it. All I could think was, I really want to be doing this with my band. I want to go give a real kick-ass rock show like we can. And it just felt like a half measure. It felt like, you know, it wasn't everything that it could be. Now, that's not to say that I wouldn't want to do uh, solo stuff in the future, but it always is supposed to be a, a extra thing that I can do, not the thing that takes over everything that is my career. It was really a moment where I realized no matter what, we have to figure this out and we have to move forward and get to a place where we can go back and make records and be the band that I know we can be. Because at no point did I ever feel like if we could get in a better situation and get out of what we were in, I never felt like we were done. It just felt like we had reached this kind of impossible situation and this impossible, you know, dilemma. And what do we do? So it became the entire central focus of everybody to get this back on track. That tour ended. And shortly after that, he was starting back up with Black Veil Brides. Full length record prior to this was Veil. You know, it was never really set in stone, but that was kind of quote unquote, like the final album from the band in many ways, you know, the lyrics reflect that. I think a lot of people kind of knew that this might be it. And no one was really sure about the future of the band. Like they hadn't officially broke up, but that record was, you know, quote unquote, the end, you could say, you know, sometimes things need to change in order for progress to be made. And for whatever reason, that lineup wasn't working anymore and they needed a new basis at the time so they reached out to me you know he ran my name by the other guys i guess they all had a meeting and uh, they all figured i'd be a good fit so it was pretty much as simple as that and then we all met at a at a restaurant in la and that was kind of the first like band meeting with the new lineup we all just kind of chatted about music and you know i told them how grateful i was for the opportunity and we kind of discussed where the future of the band should go you know, we, we kind of reconvened and was like, well, what are we going to do? And, you know, everyone was doing their, their thing, but I think that it was never really spoken about, but I think everyone was kind of worried that I was like, just done and just, you know, joining Falling in Reverse or whatever band. And I, I remember we, I think, so Sun Cafe, I think we met there for lunch and they're like, well, and I was like, well, it's kind of stupid to let, you know, 
this baby we created, you know, this, this thing we've all contributed, you know, for so many years, over a decade at this point to just wither away and die, you know? And so we did what we had to do to, you know, repair the relationships. And um, I think now individually and collectively, we're getting along better than we ever have. And, you know, it's that fire has been lit again, you know, and it's burning pretty strong. And, you know, Andy kind of came back to us and say, Hey, you know, I am, you know, I just toured, I just did my second solo record, toured it. I'm ready to do the band again and go, you know, gung ho, full blast. We're like, Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) All right. I don't have to get a job after all. (laughs) We're all energetic. We're all excited. We're fresh. We got a new guy in the band who's, who's great. We get along with, we're all getting along the best we've ever gotten before. And we're all just being very transparent, open with each other, no more hiding our feelings and, you know, passive aggressiveness. And I mean, it's just stuff like that happens over time. You know, you get your, you guys are, are, we're all squished together in a bus and, you know, just tin can like rolling all over the, you know, the world. And you, you kind of like, you have little annoyances that you pick up with, with each other. And, you know, it's just like you know each other's smells and it's, you know, it's just too close for comfort sometimes. And you just kind of like, you know, you grow apart. A lot of times whenever there is like a changing of, of talent, whenever there is a, a, a new talent that gets introduced into the band, that changes things. And that tends to change the dynamic. You now have someone that's stoked to be in the band, right? That's enthusiastic to be in the band. You have someone that brings in a different skill set that's complementary to what these guys have, have grown accustomed to. And, and like I said, it doesn't even, it isn't even specific to Black Veil Brides. It's just the thing that I've seen. Like as a musician, whenever you change members, there is a shift for better or for worse, but it's generally for the better right? Not, not always, but generally it's a, it, it kind of fires everybody up and changes the enthusiasm of everybody because you have a different energy in the room now. And I think that we witnessed some of that and that kind of speaks to that at the fork in the road, we made some tough decisions, but those decisions are now here, the band is about to release their sixth record as opposed to not even being a band anymore. It really, for me, was about how important it is to be in this band, really, from the time I was a teenager and was getting my, you know, driving learner's permit, the name Black Veil Brides has been synonymous with me. And, and you know, that's not to say that only me, but certainly for me, from the time I was a kid, if you said the name Black Veil Brides, I was, I was somehow connected to it. And so it felt really wrong in a way to not have that be a part of my life. And, and I grew up on the road, I grew up with these guys. I, I learned so much from doing this. And, and the person that I am now at 30 is very different than the person that I was at, at 20. But I wanted to be able to go back and recapture that magic. And I believe that we have. Taking that little break, I guess, was necessary. And then uh, coming back into it, we realized like, what you have to lose by you know, mm. ending something that is so good for you. And it's, it's so good not only for you and your life, but for so many other people in their lives. So, you know, this band is really important important it's actually so much bigger than ourselves and to you know call it quits or or to end it it's uh, irresponsible really as the band entered into a new deal with sumerian records the possibility of revisiting and completely redoing we stitch these wounds the 2010 album that served as a proper full-length introduction to the band started to come together i had this sort of uh, in my mind, I found it to be a romantic idea or, a, I guess, a dramatic idea, which I suppose all, all the ideas that I try to come up with in some way represent one of those things. But I had this idea that the restitch these wounds would be a great way to, if it had to end, 
it would be a great way for it to end and the kind of poetic nature of you know finishing where you started and re redoing that record in a way that we felt was representative of the band that we had become and if that was the end of it to show the full circle growth of the band over the course of those 10 years and so that was kind of something that had existed for a little while was i was kind of working under that assumption and, and it was heartbreaking but it was just like it felt like this just the way it had to be for a myriad of reasons ultimately when we got together and started working on stuff i mean i think jake had started working on some music elements and, and stuff prior to the lonnie coming into the band and the kind of reinvention of the band but when we really all got together after lonnie had joined there was so much excitement that it quickly parlayed into writing new material and the new material in many ways came from working on this old material and revisiting the way that the band used to sound and the style choices that we had made musically in the past and then having Lonnie enter the band and his interests in the band and the what you, you know for lack of a better term the classic era of the band inspired I think everybody to well what if we what if in 2019 we wrote songs that sounded like the band that we were in 2011. You know what I mean? Think about that of me as a kid listening to Ozzy records. And then the day that I get to step foot on stage playing those songs that I was listening to before I even played an instrument. I mean, that's crazy. And, you know, Lonnie is a, he's got great energy and he brings a lot to the band with his enthusiasm and with his skill set. He brings a lot to the table and it ends up changing the whole dynamic of all five guys. You know, we've been talking about doing restitch these wounds for, for many years and having Jake at the helm producing it. Uh, we decided to kind of test the waters, you know, test drive that a bit uh, by doing the two songs. And, you know, we just got Lonnie into the band and it was just kind of like reintroducing ourselves with a new member. We decided to pull a couple old demos that Jake and I had lying around ended up being Saints of the Blood and The Vengeance. And The Vengeance was just something that I had. I, I think we were doing Set the World on Fire. Or maybe it was just after uh, we did We Stitched These Wounds the first time. You know, I just had this kind of crazy classical opening and then this riff that, you know, goes throughout the song. Yeah, me and Jake demoed it out like 10 years ago and just never did anything with it. I think a couple of times we tried to, you know, write some a top line over it and it just never really panned out. So it got saved till... It was meant to be used, I guess. Saints of the Blood, the main riff of that song, and and I guess the meat of it, like 
pretty much pretty much the whole song. I, I reworked it, but the main riff didn't change like that intro riff and everything. And the, the verse riff that didn't change. I wrote that in 2006. When I first moved to L.A., I was on my first Pro Tools. I was running like Pro Tools 6. I don't know. We're on Pro Tools like 2000 now or something. But like they don't even number it anymore. I don't think. I had this riff and I made this demo and it was just the most insane thing. It was, it was probably like, I think it was about 15 BPM faster than the song is now, which the song is still insane, but imagine it like 15 BPM faster. And it it just had guitar solos all over the entire thing. I didn't have like vocal melodies or anything on it. So uh, it was just solos over the whole thing. It it was a little bit different, but it ended up like, I just kind of reworked that, that chorus riff a little bit. And I think I pretty much just changed around the pattern of it. It was, it's basically the same thing, but just changed around the pattern. And I wasn't sure if that was a chorus or not. I didn't, I didn't really know what to do with that. So it kind of got worked out when the vocal melodies got written. And at the time we started, like, I was like trying to put together some songs for this. Like, okay, we need to do two songs. Well, I think Andy brought it up because he had heard it and he's like, yeah, what about that? And I was like, okay, yeah, let me, let me like rework that. We also did the vengeance. So we had that song we actually tried to work that song out with feldman on wretched and divine and we just couldn't get the vocal melodies right like the vocal melodies weren't hitting jinx and i redemoed it out like we needed vocal melodies so i actually on the vengeance i came up with the vocal melodies for that one that's kind of how those songs came together it was just really old ideas uh reworked into more of like what we would do now well i mean it's obviously more like shreddy like old school black veil but we wanted to modernize it a little bit to make it make more sense still it's i i think i swear like those songs could still be slowed down a little bit more (laughs) like they're pretty insane the the guitar work on both those songs are absolutely insane but that yeah that's just kind of how that happened and then we just we just tracked them again it was a it was a mix as you go Uh, andy tracked vocals here and i edited them and we mixed it and uh you know just did some basic programming under there and that was that. It was it was done pretty quick. We we did track drums for that too. So the drum it is CC drumming on it. So we did have to spend uh, a day there doing that. That's the the one thing I don't have right now is a, a drum room. Saints of the Blood. Jake had this uh, demo that even before I met him, he you know demoed oh. it out. And it was one of the first things I he ever played me, and I was just like, this is crazy. And it's, uh, I think he called it Astronaut Destroyer or something like that. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's just a crazy demo. It was just like full of solos and you know just super fast and blast beats and all that. So yeah, we were like, oh, we have these two demos. We never did anything. Let's just just go all out and and you know, and it's it's going to be like classic Blackfoot Brides because this is how we worked in the old days. You know, when we first started. We had crazy intros and and solos and uh i mean we still have solos and all that but you know our songwriting's been you know a, a bit more matured you know matured over the years so this is kind of going back to our roots of when you know me and jake first started writing together and we were just trying to outdo ourselves with with you know technical ability and all that and uh it was just like hey look we're back and here's some classic songs classic blackfell brides with here's our new member lonnie Fast forward then a bit, we, we started straight away working on Restitch These Wounds, which is just, you know, it was kind of a, well, I don't want to say a painstaking process of, of going back and revisiting those songs, re-recording all the parts. But it was in a sense because, uh, you know, as I was saying a moment ago, when me and Jake first started writing together, we were just trying to outdo ourselves. So we're just trying to come up with the craziest stuff, you know, and I was, I was diving into my classical theory with like Bach fugues and stuff like that, and, you know, trying to it, uh, just come up with, you know, just these wild interludes. And so going back to that, you know, we, we'd only played a few of those songs off the record over the years live, except for, you know, the first 
a couple of tours we did were, you know, that was all, all with the material we had at that time. So going back, like some of the songs we'd never even played live, like Heaven's Calling, and we had to kind of train our fingers to play this stuff. And we're like, oh, this is actually really complicated stuff, you know? <laughs> and so it was a bit of a challenge just in that respect. So, but it was fun to do it. You know, it was fun to, to go back to those songs and kind of took us back to when we were really hungry, you know, back in the days when I would go over to Jake's apartment in Hollywood and there was like a pile of change on the desk. And at the time, I'm like pawning my guitars just to afford to, you know, pay my rent in my apartment down the street. And, you know, we, we had this pile of change and we were trying to decide like, hmm, should we walk down to McDonald's and get a dollar cheeseburger or should we get a Four loco and just keep writing? And like, eh, Four loco, you know? <laughs> and then that's, you know, that's where we were. We were just... We were literally starving, just trying to outdo ourselves and try to you know, show the world like, hey, this is us. This is what we can do. And uh, we had a lot to prove. It's kind of a funny story. In 2013, we were actually talking about doing this and it apparently had gotten approved or it wasn't supposed to be a full re-recording. I don't think it was going to be like, oh, we're going to like, you know, I, I could remix it or whatever. I think that was what it was going to be. So I could resample drums and and make them sound better and retract guitars which i actually did in 2013 because i thought we got the green light for this i was like okay so i i retract guitars and i spiced up solos here and there and that's why a lot of the solos kind of that are spiced up on the actual version of of Sissy's wounds like are reminiscent of what i did in 2013 when i retract this but it got shut down after I had did that, and I was like, I got really mad. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like I just spent like two weeks tracking all this and redoing it and then it gets shut down. So I was like, okay, it's, it's whatever. And at the time I didn't track the DIs. I was using like a, an angle amp or something and I, I tracked all the guitars and it sounded a lot better than the, the original. But when it came time to, to redo it this time, I pulled those sessions up and I was like, do I have anything I could use from this? And I, did, I realized I didn't track DIs. Because, I mean, that would have made things a lot easier if I was just like, oh, I'll just reamp it and it's already done. But nope, we had to retrack it again. <laughs> so I had to re-record -re literally everything. It was everything was re-recorded. I mean, it, so it, it dates back to all the way back to 2013 when we were originally wanting to, to make that album sound better. You know, it just, the songs just musically, like they just, they're ripping. I, I think vocally, Andy wanted to have the opportunity to to obviously show that you know he sounds better than he did 10 years ago and we if we're going to do this we gotta we gotta do it for real and totally redo it that's a it's a huge undertaking and especially you know for me it, it was it was an honor to have the the opportunity to do it and you know we we did the night ep and and i produced and recorded and mixed those songs and then we went into right into restitch and and it was a, a hell of a process because, you know, I don't I don't have an assistant engineer or anything like that. It was just I, I took the whole thing on by myself. So it was very time consuming to be the guy who's doing it all, recording it, editing everything. I don't have an I didn't have an editor. I edited all the drums, all the guitars, all the bass, all the vocals, everything and then mixed it too. I don't want to say it was easy, but it was it was fun because, you know, we're just it was all in house, you know. Jake produced it all. We'd go over to his studio and get my guitar parts and Andy did vocals there. We just did it all in-house and it made it for, you know, really smooth process. And, you know, of course, Jake did a, a phenomenal job because it was kind of like saying goodbye to a chapter mm. of our mm. lives. You know, it's like a, kind of putting an end to that. Like, you know, here, here we have these two demos we never did anything with. Let's let's put it to bed. Let's put those out there finally. And then let's let's get back to 
the progress that we had made because over 10 years we had picked up a few things we'd learned quite a bit of things we'd learn to be better songwriters we've learned to be closer to each other and and you know we'd seen yeah. the world we've just experienced you know and like i say we matured not only as songwriters but as people with those those two songs vengeance and saints of the blood it was kind of like a more you know juvenile uh, or i shouldn't say juvenile but it was you know it's like our our early age you know it just kind of reminded us of our you know when we're in our 20s and you know young and, and starving and then now it's okay now let's get back to our lives now and and take everything that we've learned you know since those demos to now and that's where our mindset going into the new one but we were very eager because we're like okay we can do that and what's next you know let's let's top ourselves now in another light not so much in technical ability but in you know our songwriting and storytelling and just all out better songs because that was such an exciting time and there was this new there was a new kind of uh energy and enthusiasm just in general for the band both in the band and then also you know, for the people around us, the people that we've worked with for years who were consciously aware of the fact that we were not ending and that we were trying to to start again and, and kind of have this rebirth, there was just a great enthusiasm. So it came together really quickly. And then that's where the idea of doing this duology thing came because we, we write the Saints of the Blood and the Vengeance and we love it. And we go, well, why don't we just keep doing this? You know, if we don't really know what our our timeline is going to be, then we can work under this assumption that we can at least make two songs at a time and then have regular releases. And also at the time we knew that the only way that we could really gain back any ground that we had lost over the years of inactivity was to really tour our asses off. So the assumption was we'd be touring all of 2020 and we would intermittently make music to be able to release. And we were so excited about the process of making music that it seemed like that would be not you know i'm gonna say easy but it would be a pretty attainable thing to consistently go into the studio and make new things that was kind of where that came from and then uh the funniest thing happened coming up on the phantom cast the band tells me about their triumphant show in mexico and initial plans to return to the road before the onset of the worldwide pandemic and then it's a deep dive into all things the phantom tomorrow blackbird the ninth circle the phantom tomorrow the story, the imagery, the visuals. We'll hear from all five guys in the band and several folks behind the scenes. Stories about the making of the music videos and how the songs came together with producer Eric Ron. You guys have been great, and I've been Ryan J. Downey. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes of The Phantom Cast. Will we live? Will we die?